Welcome to issue seven of Scout and Birdie. Passing notes. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. So we chose passing notes for this issue because it's back to school time. It makes us think of fall, like these new changes. Um, And to me, when I think of passing notes, I think about the smell of pencils and those boxes and going like back to school school shopping. shopping. And I was homeschooled, so I didn't really get the full effect of passing notes and getting that certain socialization. Like I had friends um, through extracurricular activities, but for my formative elementary school years, I was homeschooled. And even when I went back to school, it was like not quite the same for me as a kid who grew up by myself with my siblings most of the time. So I'm pre- I get pretty nostalgic for that time in that I think about it as a time where I wish I had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> nostalgic for uh, something you didn't experience. Yeah, <laughs> I'm nostalgic for wanting to have that experience of going to school and riding the bus, and I didn't do any of that. And so. I think about... I think about going to school and specifically like middle school and um, high school all of the time as like, wow, um, I was doing this and and all of the cool experiences that I was going through and the friendships and the crushes and all of that stuff. And I feel very nostalgic for that. But then when I actually pick that apart and think about it, I remember how horrible of a time that actually was when it comes to not liking who you are, not feeling confident in yourself, not feeling confident in your friendships or what was going on in your life. Yeah, and you just don't have enough actual education or information in your brain to be a fully developed human. So when you think about it as an adult now, you're like, wow, that must have been so much fun to be like doing this and not having to worry about a job and, you know all of that stuff that we have to worry about now, but in actuality, your brain is not ready for it. You're confused and lost, and you're just navigating this weird ship, like, trying to find your way. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. It's really overwhelming. (laughs) Um, So this issue, we had some wonderful artists, and it really split into two different branches of this feeling of nostalgia. Um, One going into a bit more of youthful nostalgia um another one going into the idea of passing and really running with that theme of loss um and even like passing into a new realm in some cases so I think it's a really beautiful issue I agree it's been really wonderful recording and working with all of the artists on this one um and I'm so excited for everyone to get to hear it and see it and read it (laughs) So please enjoy issue seven of Scout and Birdie, Passing Notes. All right, now we're here with Maura McDaniel. And I know Maura um, from... Years ago, when we were on an all-female improv team together, um, we were a dance improv team, so we improvised dance as our opener, um, and 
it was a really lovely time when we were getting to know each other. We would have like rehearsals multiple times a week and like girl nights together. It was such a great time. <laughs> I love that that's part of my introduction. Yeah. <laughs> our, I wish we could do one of our dance openings. I wish, yeah. For the podcast. That would oh, be amazing. Yeah. I would love to see it personally. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, it was a sight to be seen. <laughs> Quite a spectacle. Um, but yeah, but now Mora is uh, the co-founder of Hey Nani, which is another online literary magazine. Um, and she's also a beautiful poet and writer. So, yeah, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Mora, your piece that we're going to hear um, after this uh, is um, called Notes on Nostalgia. Um, and while you were reading it, I was thinking so much about the feeling of hometown where you grew up and, and the feelings that surround like family and that familiarity. Um, what made it, uh, you feel like this was something that you wanted to address or that you wanted to dive into in different forms throughout the piece? Yeah. Well, like I was saying before, like passing notes, just like thinking about middle school and like passing notes to my friends and like, um... I'm about to go home in a month to clean out my childhood bedroom uh, because my brother and his girlfriend are buying my old house that I grew up in. So it's going to be like this, like, just like, yeah, like just me pouring through boxes of old pictures and letters and notes. And like, um, I mean, I kind of already do that every time I go home anyway. So that just like really brought that up and um, just like, yeah, like, the thought of nostalgia, like, playing tricks on you in this way of, like, oh, like, it feels so nice to be somewhere that makes you feel so comfortable and safe when, like, um, when you're in a new place, you're constantly being stretched and, like, uncomfortable, and so when you, like, whenever I go back home, I'm like, ooh, this is, like, so nice and easy, like, why, why don't I just live here? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, in the first piece, that's, like, what I was thinking about. I know I'm very easily tricked into wanting to just move back home, just constantly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, it's time. I just want to go live in the sunshine and be back there. Just always because it's so comfortable. But yeah. yeah, and because your entire life is, when you're a child, your family hopefully has taken care of you, and it's a very um, like where you grew up sort of gives that feeling of oh, I was driven here. I I knew my entire life this place. It's, mm -hmm always comfortable there was never a newness to it because you were a child so everything yeah. was so yeah when I go home to Milwaukee I have the exact same feeling of like I know how to get everywhere like mm -hmm. I'll never I could live in Chicago for the rest of my life but I'll never know it as well as I know where I grew up totally mm -hmm. and well to me it's like there's always like two polar opposite thoughts like pulling on me like, one part is, like, oh, I want to explore the world. Like, I want to constantly expand and grow as a person and, like, do all these things. And, like, I have so much I want to do in so little time. And then there's this other part that's, like, hmm, but, like, wouldn't it just be nice to, like, <laughs> move back to, like, where you know things. And it's just so easy. So, like, those two, I feel, I always call it my roots and my wings, I always, like, want to have, like, wings to, like, go different places and do different things. But then, like, at the same time, I always want, like, my roots. Yeah, I think about that so much, too, actually. Um, that feeling of, like, at any given moment, I could completely change my life. Like, mm -hmm. you could always move back to where you live. Like, mm -hmm. where you grew up in a small town um, or wherever, you you know, you 
you could always just like pick up and travel somewhere else and be there and it's like a very overwhelming feeling to know that your life would just be so infinitely different depending on like what scene you would be in yeah the location Mm -hmm. totally I think it's also interesting in your piece you talk about how metalworking makes you feel close to your relatives I have that same feeling my grandparents ran a nursery for 41 years so when I'm around plants I'm always feel very in touch with them they're still alive but even when I we don't even talk about it that much but that's where I grew up around these plants and I just wandered around plants a lot so when I when I get into watering plants or just caring for things like like that then I feel really connected to them and I think that's something really special that you touch on in your piece yeah that's so similar like plants and then yeah with stones and it's so funny like as I was reading that I'm actually wearing a necklace uh, with a uh, rock. Like, this necklace was sold at my grandpa's rock shop. And my mom found it, and, like, a couple years ago. And, like, so when I was reading my piece, I, like, clung to it. And you can kind of hear the beads jingling right now. (laughs) But when I was reading it, I was holding it. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that, like, I have a piece of them with me right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's just something I noticed. It's funny, like, those tactile things. I do think of passing notes as this tactile feeling of, like, um, very tangible memories. Stones are something that you, like, feel their weight. (laughs) And you're like, this is something I carry with me. I wear it around my neck, and that's really beautiful. Yeah, well, that's, like, what I love about, like, metalsmithing and working with stones is because you can learn the meaning behind the stones. Um, Like, this other ring I'm wearing that I made is a... Picasso marble stone that my mom got me and she it's called the artist stone so it's supposed to be like this stone of like creativity and inspiration and so I mean whether you believe like there's like actual energy in the stone like whether or not like people believe that like just knowing like what it represents I think is like so special so like when people ask me to like make them something with like a stone and then like um, like a dragonfly on it because like it reminds them of like their mom or their grandma and then like whenever they wear that it like reminds them of that special thing like that's like especially what I love about like making jewelry yeah it's such a visceral way of having that memory with you having that greater idea of creativity or whatever it is in the stone always with you yeah cool. yeah and then like I feel like a part of a part of that piece because like I spent so much time with my hands like putting my energy into it and like forming it that like I feel like a part of me goes with whatever I like put out into the world or like whatever like piece I make someone yeah (laughs) that's so so lovely (laughs) yeah that's gorgeous you said um in your piece you were talking about um your hands like letting the actual uh stone tell you what to do with it how can you explain that a little bit more yeah well like when I'm thinking of a design and like cutting out like because I have all the 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 materials laid out and then like I take the stone and put it on like the silver background and then take wire and like measure around it and so like sometimes I have this idea of how I want it to look and turn out and like that's kind of where the, like, perfectionist side of me comes out, but then, like, what Metalsmith always teaches me, or, like, working with metal and stone, like, 
it teaches me to kind of go with the flow of like the natural curves of these elements because like um when you start to bend the metal it's like it makes you it makes you go into like the natural flow of it like you there's no forcing it to do something that it doesn't want to do I think yeah that's what I mean it's like being okay with it not being perfect and you can make it look as perfect as you want and like man-made as you want but in the end these are natural materials and so like the natural elements are going to come out the most (laughs) yeah you're just gonna win every time yeah (laughs) yes yes (laughs) so you have to like let go of like the control Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really a beautiful kind of like relaxing giving into it yeah (laughs) (laughs) well yeah it is I have to remind myself to relax because like when you're like sawing with like a teeny saw blade through metal and you're like ah like I definitely like clench too much so that's why like metal smithing like yeah it teaches me to like soften my body in like these little minute ways yeah so cool (laughs) yeah one of my favorite things about um like every issue of Scout and Birdie is just how people take the different theme and run with it and how the theme will like trigger different thoughts. And this is the, where you've taken passing notes is such a beautiful and like different way. And it's so inspiring to see like each person and all of our lovely friends, like taking that theme into such a unique and, and mm-hmm. different way. Yeah. That's the magic of it. The range is magic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. And please enjoy Notes on Nostalgia. Part 1. During the latest trip to where I grew up, nostalgia was charming me with the comfort of familiarity. It seemed so safe and pleasant to be back. The idea of life there seemed to make sense, easy. I let myself be teased with the idea of moving there again, be with my family and with the lakes that could redeem anyone's spirits. It made it hard to leave. On the plane, I asked myself various questions. In reality, would I really enjoy my life there? Am I really enjoying it completely here in Chicago? Is one place better than the other? This is the area I seek clarity. It was so comforting to know exactly where everything was and that the buildings all looked the same. Seeing people I have known for over a decade was enchanting. I romanticized every encounter. Wow, he looks the same and still works at the bank. Or, this Dairy Queen tastes the same as when I was little. The same shit that used to bore me now seems wildly delightful. Now living in the country seems so romantic. Tending a garden, swimming in the lake or having a quiet morning immersed in nature. Could I let myself have that? My two current lifestyles are in such contrast, but I appreciate what it brings out in me. The city is a constant source of inspiration. The country is a source of peace. Nostalgia for what once was plays tricks on my mind. For days, I longed for the comfort of what can never really be again. Do I really like all this stuff? and people in my hometown, or is it just because it feels so good to know the people and places that know me? Internally, I'm constantly evolving, which makes the consistency of my small town seem so appealing and safe. Seems like the fast track to security and safety. 
I suddenly like knowing that not much really changes too drastically in that place. But isn't that what I used to resent? I'm rubbing out the belief that I used to hold about moving back home as a sign of defeat or giving up. Now I see it and how it can feed our souls and nourish what we once had but morph it into our current selves. Part two. I wrote your name, put it in a vial of water, and froze it so I wouldn't think of you anymore. A wise woman offered this advice, told me to keep you in the freezer forever if I wanted. It froze my feelings around you, stopped time in ice, disabling your energetic pull. She was right. Maybe I'll keep your name in on this note, like meat, until it's pure freezer burn. Part three. Collecting little sacred treasures has been something I've loved since I was a kid. My grandma gave me a wooden chest with a lighthouse painted on it that I kept my treasures in. Now it's filled with small rocks, jewelry, letters, and pictures. My grandparents owned a rock shop, and I remember storing out the polishing pellets from the big five-gallon buckets of tigre gems for hours in their basement. I imagine this is when my love of stones began. My grandpa always collected things, especially Native American art and jewelry. Being in the metalsmith studio makes me feel more connected to my grandparents. I never really had a strong connection to my grandpa when I was young and felt like I hardly knew him. Since I was so young, I never really knew what his interests were. Now that I'm older, I keep finding out clues that show me how similar our interests have turned out to be. My mom gave me a stack of his writing that I spread all over my childhood bed so I could absorb each word he wrote. I've been writing poetry since fifth grade. She also gave me a bag full of old jewelry he had collected. Now I make jewelry with similar stones he used to sell. He had a ton of maps and books so he could find the mining areas for gems. I majored in geography. I feel more in tune with him now after he has passed than I did when he was alive. Part of me wishes he was still here so we could bond over geography, writing poetry, jewelry, and special stones. I make treasures. I make jewelry for people to wear that represents something special to them. I work with my hands. I put my energy into the metal as I work with it and get into the flow of how the stone wants to be shown. Okay, we're here with our friend Terrence Carey. And we're really excited to share with you his piece, Aunt Allison. But before that, I'd like to just introduce you to him and talk a little bit about his artistry. So welcome, Terrence. Hey, how's it going, y'all? <laughs> Thanks so much for being here <laughs> with us. For being Thank here. you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yes, so we know Terrence from our time at Columbia. We both had classes separately with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been really interesting to see you just like on the internet, how you like follow you. <laughs> we haven't seen you a lot, but we know you're doing like lots of cool, like preach um, is one of the cool things that I see. 
And this is very evocative of that to me. So mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit about what you do outside, you're obviously an actor too, but... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> actor. Yeah, that's that's um, definitely what I went to Columbia for with y'all. Like, yeah. did that whole thing, studied acting. Um, and uh, to go more into Preach and then this, the discovery of this piece, um, Preach was a group that... Um, me and TJ Medell co-founded and like it was like almost a little over a year ago and uh it is uh, like a collective you know a like collective movement of like spoken word improv um and just storytelling so um we kind of so we started with spoken word and then like doing improv and then also going into to sketch stuff and for our first like big show to like kind of just like come out uh, to not just the improv community but to like the theater scene or whatever we like entered into the uh, Chicago Fringe Festival and like put together like a show where we did spoken word improv um, and sketch and also pieces that were um, that are like on Allison that you're gonna hear in a, in a second. Um, but th- this piece was done uh, on stage at first, and I wrote it in stages. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a piece TJ helped me with um, when we performed it. It was like he was kind of this uh, um, kind of like floating in and out type of uh, like a spirit like throughout mm-hmm. the piece. So I was like literally just kind of deadpan, like, just trying to, like, say out the facts of this piece. Like, every time it always kind of goes this, like, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to do this piece with, like, not emotion. Like, just try to kind of, like, just say it to, to people. And it's crazy how, like, just saying it kind of erupts, like, a lot of, um, like, what my um, aunt went through and what my family went through. But, mo- like, what I went through, this is, like, I'm trying to be very, like, this is how I kind of saw it. And coming from, like, a... Uh, just a mindset of like trying to help. Like I just I felt so like helpless and um and this was kind of like a piece that was like I was like in a cut writing and I felt like guilty because I just I wanted to do so much more for my auntie, for my family, and uh I just wasn't in a place to. And it was just like one of those things where it's just like not the right time and like I can't really <sighs> and uh and the, th- the crazy thing about this piece, too, is, like, it has, like, I feel like it's not the full, like, the full story. It's not, like, because there's so many different layers and things to mm-hmm. it. And uh, what I love most about this piece is that it's, like, a time capsule. Like, it's, like, a time marker. Like, I'm, like when I read this, I go back to that time, and uh, I remember why I'm out here in Chicago and like trying my hardest to be better and then so I can help my family be better and um this is one of those moments where it's like family is the most important thing that I have because I didn't choose this this was like my family chose me and like cared for me and (sighs) yeah I think when you're um hearing the piece or reading the piece it's it's clear how like strong of a moment this is of turmoil and of of change and and trying to figure out what's going on in your emotional life and i think it's amazing 
your ability to like transfer us to that feeling um, of loss, but also um, of trying to, you know, bring something, bring some change to yourself after. And um, how do you go about writing something that is so emotionally um, real for you? Um, I feel like that's how I deal with uh, a lot of things I think about a lot. Like I think about a lot of things, but a testament to it is if like I write it down, like if <laughs> how big it is, like mm-hmm. if it's like like a random line or whatever, or something that just like pops in my head or like a thought where I'm like, oh, this is like there's something here, but I don't write it down. I'm like, oh, it must have not been that big, where it could have been, but like. Yeah, when something, like, big affects, like, not only you, but, like, the people around you and, like, and in, in kind of affects you emotionally and kind of, like, you just realize, oh, like, why am I feeling this way? And you're like, oh, okay, because that, that's happening under everything else. So it's, like, and this is, like, one of my ways that I kind of, like, um, dealt with, like, my emotions because it's kind of, it stops me from crying. It's kind of, like, I'll, like, cry, like, I'll get it hit, like, I'll get hit with something, like, just, just... A lot of sadness or whatever it is it's just like i'll be like all right i need to just take my mind off it and you know sometimes i watch movies you know sometimes i, sometimes <laughs> I like just like go zone in and something like my phone or like get up later and just like only go to work and just focus on work or whatever um like during this time now was so easy and then just like at night drink or whatever you know and then do a show talk about it and then drink you know but now uh yeah i'm just in a um in a headspace, or I was in a headspace, to where, like, I needed to just write this piece down and, like, to really process it. Put it in its place, kind of, so you just have it there. Yeah. (laughs) I know, like, it's almost that thing where it's interesting that you would have TJ as, like, this apparition going in and out of a space because Mm -hmm. that's almost how it feels. It feels like someone's just, you're carrying them with you um, throughout it, and that's good and it like feels nice to have them with you in your heart but then it's almost like at a certain point you have to channel it into something so that you can like be a human and not be crying all the time because I know loss is just like that where it's hard to compartmentalize and it just it's funny to imagine it as like a time capsule because that is feels so honest about how we create our art about these intense things is they are just like these beautiful little firework kind of things. Mm-hmm. So it's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, yeah, thank you. You put that better than I did. It's so, so sensitive. Um, but uh, we're so appreciative of you for sharing this piece with us because it's beautiful. And we're very excited to share it with all of you at home. So please enjoy Aunt Allison. Look out at the lake's currents. Currently pulsing waves overcome the concrete, caging it in. I pause. You come to mind, and I want to call you and tell you about the documentary Brzezinski, about Dr. Brzezinski curing cancer, like the deadliest kinds of cancer, like brain cancer. 
and the FDA and the National Cancer Institute have been trying to stop him because his discovery will take away billions of their money, which is why I want to say to you, please don't listen to every word your doctors say. They have motive to the money, your money. It's okay to fall off any pill or ill will radiation that they're filling you with. My sin's worth two. I, I want you to try something new. But I think it'd be rude to suggest something that I can't monetarily provide for you. So instead of calling you, I sing to Lake Michigan like it were you. I just want you to try something new. I want you to try something new. I close my eyes and say a prayer to your breasts. No cancer. A prayer to your lungs. Deep breaths for getting fluids. A prayer to thinning, breaking blood clot. A prayer that's just a vision of you dancing like you on Soul Train. Carefree. A lot of arms, hips, dips, and spinning with Uncle Jeff. Cured. But history tells me that they didn't, don't really care about our dances, the government and the money men. Half the time it's the same white men making money off the radiation and never made you radiant. It's barbaric to your futuristic gardening. They don't know about you planting seeds into your siblings, putting faith in their dreams, like coming over on your vacation, pulling my mama's weeds, planting your lilacs, moving the trash cans to the side of the house and sweeping the driveway in one afternoon, bless the overflowing piles on piles of hoarded past that be my house. But I guess you will try something new. I guess you will try something new. We weren't ready as you rest in peace. We rest in pieces. We like shattered glass waiting for heat. Like warm welcoming kisses on cheek or warmth of hand in hand or hand on back to tight hugging, tight lip smiles. You are our peace. Some of us know it's going to be all right. We'll find peace again or you again or both. It's just soul can't stand on its own right now. My lost in memories memorialized by heart who holds on to homes, holds on to midnight snacks in your kitchen, holds on to sweet treats at Culver's, holds on to the trips to Atlanta and the trip to D.C. And you wanting to see everything. I'm walking through your garden, 40 acres y'all bought. In your backyard, now called Nottage Park, reads a sign next to a gravel path lined with plants leading to tables and benches, a swing, a fire pit, and this slope. This slope that has ceramic plates with quotes on them. One broken plate really stuck out with me. It said, don't let your memories be greater than your dreams. As I put the plate back together again, don't let your memories be greater than your dreams. I want to try something new. I want to try something new. The ocean of the universe, the Lake Michigan of the universe, ain't always going to flow in the direction that we floating in. I'm trying to learn to breathe underwater, breathe under the pressure and oppression of depression, of death, breathe the peace you rest in. All right, we're here with Lydia House. And we know Lydia from, I know Lydia actually from working at The Annoyance. I was running tech there for a while, and Lydia um, is a server there and also uh, was doing some interning there. And then uh, we met her and we realized how lovely her artwork is. And we were <laughs> like, you have to come on and be on Scout and Birdie. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Lydia. Oh, thank thank you, you for having me. Um, so Lydia has created this beautiful piece called Message in a Bottle, which you can find on scoutandbirdie.com. 
And you can check it out and see and just bask in its beauty. <laughs> so Lydia, illustration is something that I have never um, like gotten into really with art. How do you go about hearing a theme like passing notes and thinking about a story that you want to tell visually without any words and how you want to get it across without using words? Uh, well, at first the idea came to me through like word association. I was like, well, passing notes, what's an interesting concept for that? Well, what if someone was living on a desert island and the only way that they could send notes out was through a message in a bottle? And I just, I don't know, illustration is so cool because you can create anything. Like it's a world where there are no rules and there is no gravity and, um, well, there's gravity in the like, uh, the, like English sense of the like, <laughs> deepness of it, but um yeah, I think that's how I got the, like, idea for it. But illustration is, I'm actually, like, a little new to it, so a lot of my drawings look like they're done by kids, which I think is exciting. And, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. a, I think I have a little bit more, like, technical skill than maybe a child would have, but not much, guys. <laughs> not much. Yeah, so it's been, like, a joy to make this project. I think the joy is very visible in the artwork that I've seen of yours and the artwork that's going to be featured in Scout and Birdie. There's just this feeling of sort of, like, excitement and childlike energy to it but you definitely have the technical skill of it yeah. being <laughs> very beautiful work yeah. um but just like very exciting and a youthful exuberance which I feel like you sort of carry in your everyday life I mean that's really who I am like I don't know I'm a very happy person um I get sad like all the time but I think part of that is um yeah like this illustration you can make the, the same rules that maybe a kid would follow I guess makes sense and it helps me get back to that idea of like imagination I don't know it's such a simple idea but that you can like really draw anything from something is really cool but oh. thank you for saying I don't have like stubs for hands <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's a lot of work though like I will spend time like just like drawing the same hand over and over again and I know that my hands only have like three fingers in most of my drawings but it's taken me a while to just get them to where it's like just enough casual and yeah, hands are very tricky. <laughs> like, I'm not a good artist at all, but, like, even just as a kid, I would try to get hands, and fingers are just so, like, I mean, there's a billion bones in our fingers, so <laughs> it's, like, amazing to just see the development. And you really command your color in a really beautiful way, yeah. and it, it just, like, shows through that, like, that work that you put into it. Thank you. Yeah, your characters all have sort of a distinct look, like they all could be kind of in the same world with each other. Did it take you a while to develop that, like, specific style, or was that always sort of the way that your illustrations turned out? It actually started, I got this, like, set of postcards that let you draw in the world, and so I drew a little picture of myself on an elephant for my boyfriend, and I liked it so much that, like, you can see from that, it's on Instagram. My very first drawing is, like, me on that elephant, and it's so, it looks very similar to what I'm drawing right now, but it's, like, my characters now are twice as tall, and they have fingers, and I just tried <laughs> drawing toes today, and I'm nailing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just, like, grown exponentially. So I think every week I try to learn, like, a new skill, but color is really important to me, so it's cool that you notice that, but, like, having it be really balanced and... And playing with markers and pencils and sort of like a multimedia is really cool to me. And I'm going to try watercolors next week, guys. <laughs> That's amazing because it gives your um, your work a, like, a ton of texture. So it's just like, like it feels like a nice cool breeze on your, <laughs> on your painting. Yeah. So I, mean, yeah. I really like hand drawing things. Like I want to start drawing things 
it's everything's online now. Like, mm. you guys are the purveyors of an online magazine. <laughs> but it's so weird that, like, it, it's hard to draw something and have it look good online. So mm-hmm. that's been a challenge where I, I just love the joy. Like, holding a pencil and the, like, happy accidents that can happen from, like, a slip that maybe I would undo if it wasn't, like, seven hours of work on mm. a computer. Mm-hmm. It's, I wonder if we're kind of losing that a little bit in the digital world. But it, I know it would look bad in a magazine, too, because it's the same concept. Like, in a print magazine, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to think about that, but those little happy accidents create such, like, a visual enticement to me. So, I don't know. I'm happy that we're getting to see your hand-drawn work on this. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because the what you were describing very much in gives me a feeling of who you seem to be, like, when I spend time with you, that you have sort of this, like, um, not old-fashioned quality but sort of like a simple like you have like your notebook with you and you're drawing I'm and like knitting a hat right now yeah exactly <laughs> five years old exactly um like a sweet simpleness and if you could see Lydia like she she color coats her outfits in like a very lovely way and there's there is like this fun and just like enjoying life energy to you it is. if my look had a name it would be peasant chic <laughs> they're laughing because it's true <laughs> <laughs> and so like, sweet <laughs> peasant chic with an edgy haircut so yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. I actually got this hair I got like drunk at happy hour and I had like last night's tips on me and so I was like just shave it off <laughs> last night you did it? it was like last week but I was like for sure um, under the influence and so I got an undercut <laughs> it was like really bad but I, I hope that like with my art I can kind of make it more um, this whole project has really pushed me to think outside of like, the just drawing a standard picture and, like, building a story is really cool. So this has been really, like, a, a process for me. Oh. Yeah, and how to, like, make your work translate into, you know, communicating an entire storyline. I'm going to try to finish it without words. Like, I would love to make it work just by, like, like being able to, like, Alfred Hitchcock's idea that, you, like, the camera guides the eye. Mm. Oh, but what if it was just pictures? <laughs> <laughs> it's very silent film. <laughs> yeah, it's very silent. Very cool. But I guess you could put on, like, Grimes when you listen to it, like, or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, what would be, like, the song that you should play while you're listening, where you're Maybe watching? Maybe Message in a Bottle by the Police. <laughs> like, Definitely. <perfect. laughs> I would underscore the, the visual flipping through. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Lydia. Yeah, thank you for being here. And if people want to keep up with you, they can follow you on Instagram. Yes. My Instagram handle is at Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A, underscore in the house. <laughs> so my last name is house. So Lydia, underscore in the house. And check out those new toes coming at you. <laughs> They're real. They're like <laughs> Well... Thank you so much for being here, and be sure to check out Lydia's piece, Message in a Bottle, on scoutandbirdie.com. Yay! Yay! Yay. All right, now we're here with Monica Guzman. Um, and I know Monica from uh, Jewish events, which is funny because Monica is not Jewish. I'm not trying to out you or anything no, here, Monica. <laughs> but um, we were uh, pretty regularly seeing each other at um, like Jewish open mics that were going on um, and uh, different like Shabbat events. Yeah, Moshe House. Yeah, it's like cool gathering of young people in the Jewish community. Um, but then since then, uh, I have 
um, performed at Monica's event, The Night Side. Um, and Monica is a really talented artist here in Chicago. So thank yeah. you for being here thank with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> so great. Um, and you have a zine out, right? I do. So actually the night side, um, came after this idea that I had a few years ago. Um, the project was called at the time poetry EP because my thought was that why is music so common in our lives? Like we wouldn't think of not having music on our phones or not listening to music on Spotify or having some kind of subscription to that part of our lives that enriches our lives so much. Um, and poetry to me is that as much as music is. And I was like, why is that not tangible to people? Why is it so inaccessible? And so I was thinking about my early experiences with music and how I would go to the CD store and get a CD and then run to my room and close the bedroom door and put my headphones on and like cozy into my bed and then look at the booklet that came in with the CD that had all this art and like bios and the lyrics and just notes that I would feel connected to the artist with um, or by. And so I wanted to create that for poetry because lit magazines are so either fancy or personal, like zines are so, like they're like someone's handcrafted pieces of art, you know, so it's less, if you're not already into poetry, it's kind of less accessible. Um, whereas something that's mass produced that gets shoved into a CD case might feel a little bit less um, laden with meaning and therefore yeah. expectations. And so Poetry EP um, was a music version, musicized version of uh, <laughs> uh, poetry, or at least the packaging of it. So that started, and then um, I, I was not, I did not have the perseverance to follow through. Um, so because I didn't have helped for that project, I tabled that and then came across um, other collaborators, such as Brian Smith. Um, he's a friend of mine who basically uh, pressured me to do the night side because I was telling him, oh my God, I wish I had deadlines like you have because he has this wonderful show at IO Theater that he does. And he's like, well, just make a, just make a show. And I was like, mm, why would I make a show for my crazy little writings that I do? And he's like, well, you have a friend who has a bookstore. So Uncharted Books is where we host the night side every month, every second Thursday. And Tanner, who owns that bookstore, is my dear friend. And he's been lovely and generous with his space. Um, so then after I had the first show, I, I thought it was only going to be one show. And then Brian was like, well, if you're a real artist, you got to do this every month. <laughs> so that's the night side. And now I'm trying to collaborate with my friend Nick Rohr, who runs the Antarctican. And hopefully we'll bring Poetry EP back, but as something else. And collaborate or meld that with Antarctican and the night side and see what comes we'll see we'll see what comes of that it's so interesting to hear the evolution of how everything has formed into what's currently happening and <laughs> yeah the night side I think is I think it's special because of the music and lit part of it but in particular the space of creativity that happens when musicians and lit people come you know it's just something I think magical. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> no, I mean, I completely agree with you. Having been someone who has read one of my like lit pieces at the night side and have been to a couple now, actually being able to interact with musicians um, and to get to hear the music, it's, it's really cool because so often you're so secluded in your own scene and you're going to live lit events or you're, or you're going to music events, but you're not interacting and it's interesting to incorporate the two together. And yeah. Yeah. So cool. 
I just like I'm picturing just a CD case, like of like how that would be when you're little. Because um, I remember just like taking those CDs and like reading the lyrics so intensely. I was like, I had everything memorized so quickly because I would be like, I feel so connected with um, this whatever band, like Reliant K. Uh, wow. wow the Christian rock scene <laughs> in California <laughs> really good yeah it does feel like extra personalized you like you're seeing like the really pictures really connected to them push play ready yes that's how poetry should be and right that's what uh, it just seems like poetry you can be like oh I'm gonna go read some poetry right now and it's like no it's just someone like putting out their art in just a, a different medium so and that is sort of what we're hoping with having a podcast form of what we do on Scout and Birdie is that it'll make it more accessible for people who wouldn't necessarily sit down and read, you know, so nonfiction, poetry. Yeah. 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 You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to really get into this emotional moment that this person went through. And it's hard. It's so hard to do that. But then like this, hearing you do your piece is so beautiful and I think it just makes you connect even deeper to the piece so thank you so much yeah and now please enjoy Monica's piece you One night at work, I heard the woman in room four weeping over her cat, which was being euthanized. I sat staring at the computer screen. The schedule read, youth. All the other patients had left, and the radio had been turned off. The door had been locked, the cash box counted, the evening report printed. It was my first night alone with the doctors, my first time closing, and I waited for the woman to stop crying so that she could sign the papers and I could leave. I began working at the animal hospital the week we found out Abuela was going to die from her cancer. Abuela was excited for me, so I didn't clarify how it wasn't much of an achievement, it being a minimum wage, entry-level position as a receptionist. Nor did I tell her how much I disliked my work, how I couldn't seem to handle the irregularity of emergency. Each time a situation arose, I felt torn apart, as if being stretched in opposite directions while the other receptionists either sprung into calculated action or carried on with their tasks unaffected. I froze, trying to figure out what to do, and I'd end up getting in the way or causing more confusion and trouble. I learned that the best thing I could do was to stand aside and wait as the professionals handled things, to be still while others rushed around me, like a stone at the edge of a river. They reassured me that I would learn what to do, but after a month, I still hadn't gotten the hang of things. I spent my shifts watching and wondering how people carry on the way they do, handling death and mundanity in stride. I had never seen dying before, and Abuela was someone I've loved most. I don't know what I had expected exactly, but I didn't think it would be like prodding fading embers, desperate for a last burst of warmth. I guess I had imagined a candle being blown out. But Abuela struggled to get out of bed, her mind unwilling to accept the betrayal of her body. She'd furrow her brow and moan in her sleep. As much as I didn't want to let her go, I wished that I could lick my thumb and forefinger, pinch the wick of her life, and release her. Abuela and I used to sit in her living room, 
her rocking in her recliner, me on her couch, and I'd tell her stories about my friends or my work or my creative projects. She'd listen, her eyes glittering with curiosity, and when I'd finish with one story, she'd take a deep breath and ask, What else? Sometimes I'd ask her about her own stories, about her escape from Cuba and the life she left behind there, but she didn't seem to enjoy telling stories as much as she enjoyed listening to them. Knowing how much it pains me to tell stories about Abuela, I think I finally understand why that was. At the animal hospital, there was a shelf in the back room where we kept the boxes of ashes of deceased pets waiting to be picked up by their owners. Some had been sitting on the shelf for years. We can't get rid of them. They paid for them, a vet explained to me. It's not cheap to have your pet cremated. So the boxes remained on the shelf with their clay paw prints tucked inside. How could someone just leave them, I wondered. They certainly wouldn't have forgotten them. It's not that it pains me to remember Abuela, although I'm certainly still grieving. It's that memory itself pains me. I am pained that the mundane moments that compose the days of our relationship fade with each remembering. I am pained that when I wake up from a dream about Abuela, her unreal presence feels more real to me than her real one. I am pained that the memory of her death remains more vivid than any other memory. To revisit memories of Abuela means to feel more loss. All I want to feel is joy when I think about Abuela. I sat weeping in the car before I entered the hospice center where Abuela was moved. I remember thinking, as I heaved sobs propped up against my steering wheel, that this was only the first of many deaths that I would have to endure. I imagined grasping my father's weathered hands, kissing my mother's wrinkled forehead, whispering into my friend's shriveled ears. I imagined being at my own end, my body heavy, and feeling the weight and loneliness of not just my memories, but the absence of memories, an intangible, unfathomable accumulation of losses. It occurred to me, youth isn't just the humane choice for the dying, but for the living, and thus for the dying twice-fold. Youth, the power to override death, so as to prevent death from overriding memory, the memories that live on. Before she got sick, Abuela would ask, Will you remember me? Of course I will. Of course I do. But I wonder if I could remember better. I wonder if Abuela would have chosen a different ending for herself if she knew how powerful her death would be. I watched Abuela sleeping in the hospital bed next to me. Her mouth hung open and her chest heaved gurgling breaths. Even though it was unlikely she'd open her eyes again, even though I had been there at her bedside for too many hours, I couldn't bear to leave because I couldn't bear the idea of missing a chance to tell her one more time that I loved her and to assure her that, if she felt ready, she could keep moving while I stayed here. Sarah McCartan. Sarah is one of our very dearest friends, mm-hmm. uh, one of our favorite people to spend time with, and we're so lucky to have you here with us, Sarah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, you'll recognize Sarah from her piece, All for Women, which was in our first issue, our very first issue. Whoa, throwback. <laughs> first impressions. So, yeah. So, Sarah, yeah. when you heard the theme, Passing Notes... 
give us like a little look into where your brain took things, how you took that theme and got to where we're at now. So I heard passing notes and I had no idea what to do other than something about high school. Mm. Um, and I wrote a few drafts about like about high school and like a crush I had and I was like, I'm bored like because that was, no, it wasn't worth it. But then I was thinking about the stuff that was important to me in high school and then and then we landed on Big Band Nerd. So yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> your piece starts and ends with a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so at the beginning, that's, um, that's Melissa telling me because I was like, oh, I don't know what to write about. And then she says that sassy ass thing at the top and I was like, for sure, my dude. Thank you for bringing <laughs> that up. Put salt in my wound. And then um, at the end is me talking to Steven. <laughs> that shit ass I was seeing. <laughs> yeah. So... That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. It was... But in your piece, you, um, you express, like, this feeling of looking back on it with this, like, rose-colored, like, oh, this is the best time of my life that I'll never get back. And Yeah. I, I, go on. I think a lot of us do that when we look back at, like, the thing we really dedicated a lot of time to when we were younger. Right. And you don't think about, like, the fact, you know, like, all the negatives just, like, go away. Like, it was just this blissful time when, when in reality, like... I was still struggling with the same, like, insecurities and shit that, like, we do now. But looking back, I was like, everything was perfect. I'll never have hair that long. Like, I'll never be that thin. Wow, I'll never be that happy. And I'm just like, no, that's not true. What the hell? <laughs> it's like our brain tricks us. Um, and I, like, I feel like Chicago as a city does that to me. Like, during the summer, like, this lovely time of year, mm-hmm. I get tricked. I call it the sneaky season where they you are... You call it that. I'm ready, I'm ready to... What is this? The sneaky season where Chicago is really beautiful and um, tricks you into thinking you love it here <laughs> before the winter hits. <laughs> I've heard before. this theory many See, times. The so it's about fall. It's a sneaky season, and I think, like, high school is like that for your entire life. Yeah. Where, where you're like... like the end all. Like, I did not enjoy high school, but when I look back on it, I think, oh, it's so fun, and our cameras were a little bit worse, so everything looks a little, like, glowy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. I really, I, I liked my high school experience, but then I, like, came to Chicago, and I was like, oh my god, I just want to go back to my small high school, my small town, then I was like, nah. <laughs> now I'm here. You're like, now I'm here. It's like challenges you to be more present in your the way you view your life yeah keep looking ahead like I never um I never think about getting a tattoo until I think about getting one that's like don't look back or keep going or some bullshit like that just gonna <laughs> oh, get the that'd Nike be very symbol. nice I'm gonna get the Nike symbol right <laughs> on my tramp stamp area right in my lower back I was gonna say just like do a... it don't look back <laughs> if you do it I'll do it <laughs> but I think it makes sense that we like so often romanticize things that we did in high school because it's when we're just starting to be old enough to make our own choices but very much like within limits we're still living at home our parents are still very much in charge of what we do and we're in school but we have like the that like one activity like band or theater or something that you can sort of have as your own right yeah it's special to like be able to dedicate yourself to an activity without having to pay bills. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the big Ooh, thing. that's like, the life. That's really what it is, is that you 
don't have to pay for things when you're a child. Or to have to, like, worry about, like, is this what I want to do with my life? Like, college, there's this feeling of, like, this is for the bigger picture, Mm -hmm. where in high school, it's sort of like, I love band. Great. Like, this is me right now. And you're not stressing about, like, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my life? Right. Right. It's a... (laughs) It's a sweeter time. Yeah. It's sweet. Filled with, like, a lot of acne and awkward and feelings. And less responsibilities. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So now, please enjoy Sarah's piece, Life Outside of Band. should write about passing notes doesn't have to be about physical notes it could be musical notes get it you should write about the fact that you can't watch our old band competition videos because you'll get too sad because you're afraid you'll never feel that happy again i can't forget our last band competition as seniors the wind was blowing warm air full of multicolored leaves all around us and our directors were giving us a pep talk right before we marched over to the stadium to compete During their speech, my eyes locked with Steven, this shit-ass I was fooling around with at the time. His eyes were glassy, and the smile he gave me was so soft and sweet. Oh, and then my eyes were glassy. Every year-end competition I experienced with marching band had the same weather. Every year. Mild, sunny, blue skies, light breeze from the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Four summers in a row, we worked on four different 15-minute shows. Day in, day out, before lunch, after lunch, after school. So when we realized it'd be the last time we ever marched, there was this level sense eight camaraderie between everyone. And the pride. Oh, the stupid pride. I was beaming. I was so happy. I patted my white coat and pants that created the itchiest of ensembles. I was going to miss being drum major. I was going to miss knowing everyone and their parents and working at a fair booth so we could raise money for our Florida trip. And I was going to miss that stuffy uniform. Now I cry when I watch the videos, no matter how good or bad our performances were, because I am seeing with my heart, not my eyes. I am feeling something I can no longer touch or grasp. When I look back on those days, I look through rose-colored glasses. Nostalgia sometimes feels like my worst enemy. Looking back on something is easy. That's where I get stuck sometimes, looking back. There are endless possibilities on where my life will take me, but it feels like I've been stuck in the rearview mirror of my mind these past couple years. But not looking too close. Oh no, if I look too close, then it gets too real that I'm not a part of something that big or tight-knit right now, and I'll cry. So I don't watch the videos. Or listen to our recordings. Or look at pictures. This fear of never experiencing that kind of happiness again is utter bullshit. Happiness isn't something that's a constant, despite what my softened version of high school memories insist. Happiness can't be caught or maintained or replicated. It's fleeting, and you can't always expect it to be there. I was happy then, but I've been happy since then. A different kind of happy. Actually, many different kinds of happy. Like when I lost my virginity, when I tried bacon pizza for the first time, when I went on my first Valentine's Day date, when I came out during a performance and when I went to one of my best friend's wedding last October. Then the other day, I watched a video. Just one, something came over me, and I randomly searched it without thinking about the repercussions. 
It was junior year, but I couldn't tell you where in the course of the season we were. All I could think about was how uptight I looked. Was I having any fun? I was chuckling, sitting there on the bed, watching my rigid body. But as soon as I get on the podium and get out of my head for like 3.5 seconds, you can tell I'm enjoying myself while conducting. But holy shit, I took that so seriously. Not like I shouldn't have. We were all so invested. But I sincerely don't think that I thought there was a life outside of band. Now in my own apartment, two years out of college, I wish I could go back in time and shake myself. Shake myself and say, Jesus Christ, enjoy this. Smile for God's sake. Laugh a little because for years I've been looking back on this thinking it was the best time of my life. But there's nothing back there for me. It's just a really good memory. Are you crying, you baby? No, I'm not. I believe I saw your eyes getting glassy, though. Well, um, it, it's sad. I know. All right, we're here with Nairna, who is doing a beautiful song for us called Eggshells. So welcome, Nair. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for being here. So we met Nair at the event, the Election Monologues, um, which was an amazing event um, where Nair actually closed out the show um, singing her own rendition of America the Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was emotional. I would say like everyone in the audience was crying. Mm -hmm. It was pretty beautiful. It was pretty awesome. It was a beautiful night. I really like making people cry. <laughs> but like that night especially was I, emotional for, I mean, y'all made me cry too. I, I couldn't cry while I was performing, but I definitely <laughs> did some crying that night because yeah. it was really, there's a lot. It was an emotional night. Yeah, it was on inauguration day, um, which was a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot to handle. Yeah, um, January 20th. Yeah. Which we actually remember super well because it's the day. Yeah, we started Scout and Birdie that day and we launched our website. Are you serious? Because you had your business cards there, I remember. Yeah, I made them that day and then we met so many lovely artists through that event. Um, and I think it was a really lovely, soothing time for us because it was really emotional. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I feel like I've seen a lot of things, a lot of new things starting in the wake of this political change. And I've also seen a lot of things ending. Like I've seen a lot of relationships end. And I feel like I blame Donald Trump for all of that. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, I'm like, you got, you're probably not thinking it, but like, that's probably what happened between you two. <laughs> like, seriously, I don't know. But yeah, but a lot of like new artistic projects starting up because it is it's like you're like I'm an artist and I'm not just I can't just be an artist now I need to really really channel this into mm -hmm. something yeah so do you find that in your work now you've leaned towards adopting some of that political work or are you focusing on other things and channeling that um I wouldn't say political I kind of well to me it's uh I 
I have to kind of look at the strengths that I possess already and I, I need to not think of it like reinventing the wheel like okay well now I need to become a totally left-brained person who understands policy and history because I really don't like my brain doesn't really absorb that that information very easily I'm much more of a poetic personality I'm very I'm a very abstract thinker um so it's kind of like figuring out like what shape is my puzzle piece and where do I fit in you know in where where can I be of help and of service with the tools that I already have because I don't want to sort of look at myself and say well I I have nothing to offer right now so I need to like go back and rebuild so my area of expertise is like in mental health now just because that's what this past year has been for me is like a major recovery year um I got sober. I did. I learned. Yeah. Yay. I'm, uh, Congratulations. I'm Thank you. I'm approaching a year um, this month. So actually, if, I think by the time this airs, I'm going to be into my second year. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so kind of working on myself. Like I came from a lot of depression and a lot of like really difficult like, I did not deal with people well. I did not interact with the world outside myself well or within myself well. Um, so, and I've, having overcome that sort of through my art and alongside my art and then by also by reaching out to others and, you know, accepting real help, um, I've come such a long way in such a short time. So I really want to... So that's where my... That's a long way of answering your question, but... Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, I guess, I guess thinking about politically, I see a very, like a, a very simple human problem um, at the core of what's going on. And it's just a question of like people being able to address mindfulness and compassion within themselves and see other people's points of view as being valid, even if they're different from their own and mm-hmm. just pretty basic stuff. Just human kindness. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's. True. So, Very true. so that's what I'm trying to write songs about now. Like, my second album next year. I'm working on my first one right now, which is kind of oh like gosh. older songs. But uh, the second one is gonna be sp- like really, um, l- like really transparently about recovery. Um, the first one's a little more like, I don't know, it's a little more like shrouded in mystery it's very more personal the second one's going to be like hey let's talk about mental health let's talk about addiction and you know the world and how we're going to fix this so that's a beautiful way to approach that kind of recovery because I think like music is one of the things that can really break through your shell in a beautiful way (laughs) Uh, yeah, eggshells. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's just nice because music is just something that it attacks you in a way. <laughs> it's a beautiful attack. It's a beautiful a much-needed attack. attack. Yeah, I think it's really necessary for us to talk about things like this because I try to, in life, just, like, break down the barrier. Like, I've... Anna and I are both in therapy, and I've been in therapy for, like, 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) It's been, like, a couple months for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I'm always just trying to break down the barrier in, like, in life, in work, in all those different aspects to make it not such of a stigma that we're in therapy and 
know. Yeah. yeah. We're like, I'm worried about myself, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I think what people keep can keep that to themselves for far too long. And it's like, they, you know, they just think that they're going through something that is completely alien and abnormal and really... It's a huge spectrum that, like, spans all of humanity. So the piece that we're going to hear after um, this interview, is that something that would be on your first album, on your second album? It would be on the second album, which, it's weird. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, like... I haven't even started the ensemble rehearsals for my first album, which is called Courage. It's a French play on words. It's like a pun. French <laughs> French pun. It's like the age of love and uh, like courage. Um, but yeah, I'm realizing that I have and almost have enough songs for the second one. And they're kind of conceptually all fit together so yeah this would be on that second one which maybe will come out next year I don't know yeah. we don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> there's a there's definitely a learning curve to all this album stuff like everyone I've talked to is seems to feel that albums take a ridiculously epic amount of time mm-hmm. to make and it's it's frustrating because it doesn't take that long to write a song and learn how to play it by yourself but then the recording and yeah I mean we've been lucky enough to have lots of great musicians on Scout and Birdie now. And it seems like all of them are working on an album. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to hear about the evolution of that. They say, oh yeah, I whipped this song up in two days and it'll be out for you to purchase uh, a year from now. (laughs) So great. Um, So it's interesting to hear it in this stage right now yeah it's got it's got all the essential stuff someone is singing it (laughs) there's an instrument being played I don't know yeah I had this I I don't know I I used to there was a point a couple years ago where I thought like hey I might not be around um long enough for this to be legitimately made it was like it was very it was in a very dodgy place with my existence um, for a long time. And it was like, you know, if I just disappeared from the earth, like, what if there was no evidence of these songs that I've written? So that was what got me to just do, like, really lo-fi demo tracks and put them on SoundCloud. And it was like, okay, I mean, these aren't anywhere near perfect, but, like, it's there. It's in place. So I've left something. And, and then from there, like, the pressure kind of just, like, yeah. lessened. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to be able to put out an imperfect product because that happens for both of us that we feel so overwhelmed with something having to be perfect and ready. But I feel like it's so beneficial for you to to put it out there and just get the feedback, see how people react to it, and know that it doesn't have to be finished right away just because you're putting it out there. It can Mm -hmm. be this beautiful evolving thing and it can keep going and growing yeah yeah I mean Jen and I are such perfectionists that it's hard sometimes to just put it out there but we have to just remind ourselves that it's okay where it's at and it's all gonna be okay yeah it's like we're recovering from perfectionism Mm -hmm. like we started off that way and we're trying to like slowly teach ourselves to like that we don't have to be that way right (laughs) Yeah, but then it's like I think about people who are like, you know, half our age, and I'm like, I don't want them to think that the world operates in this way where there's <laughs> rules that prohibit them from putting their art out there just because it's not 
you know, doesn't meet some standard, I don't know. Just, like, do the art. Just do it. Make mm-hmm. yourself whole. That's the fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You're a delight, (laughs) both of you. And now, everyone, please enjoy Eggshells. Long time no see. How you doing? What's it like in the institution? Are they letting you watch all the shows you were watching? sit you around in a circle of chairs and invite you to share or do they leave you a gamble and some brains are like eggs fried and scrambled and it's easy to break them it's easy to make them okay it's an awkward concoction and you got the option to trade out your plate or eat the hours That's it. We've made it through another wonderful issue of Scout and Birdie. Thank you so much for listening. Um, make sure to go online to scoutandbirdie.com and check out Lydia House's beautiful illustrations, um, her peace message in a bottle. And if you want to keep up with us, you can subscribe to us on the podcatcher of your choosing, or you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or like us on Facebook. If you would like to submit to Scout and Birdie, uh, you can go on to scoutandbirdie.com and under the submission page, we have all the information online about how to submit and possibly be on an upcoming issue. We'll see you in October for issue eight, 
the Witching Hour. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. Thanks for being with us. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>